Well, hello, hello. Welcome to Kill the Bottle Podcast. Eddie's more, aka the Yum Yum Foodie. Uh, Megan is giving me bitter, it's like a bitter face right now, but I think it's because she drank something nasty. As always, uh, Senorita Megan, how are you, Megan? I'm terrible, Eddie. Well, you know, I, I don't want to be the person that bursts the bubble, but wh- why are you terrible, Megs? Um, I tested positive for COVID. Yeah. Aww. Yeah, you tested. The anti-COVID queen well, has so, tested twice now and I tested positive for COVID. Yeah, but so. you also told me, you, like, you know, you texted me this morning and you said you had the worst cold ever. And it was like, mm-hmm. obviously, you don't, you know, you don't sound like yourself. Uh, but like, I don't know how, like an hour, hour and a half later is when I get the, 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 infa- you know, the, the COVID message from you. Um, you know, and, and I mean, look, first of all, I'm glad you're, you're doing okay. I'm glad you're, I don't know how, are you feeling better than you were this morning or about the same or what? Yeah, last night I had a headache. Now I'm fine. Now Everything's you're... fine. I can even sing. Hey! Uh... <laughs> okay, no, I believe you. I believe you. I don't know, because you, you said you, you felt really shitty. I'll sing this whole podcast, Eddie. No, please don't do that. Please don't do that. The, the funniest part is when you texted me this morning that I was like, oh my God. First of all, uh, it's a miracle you hadn't gotten it by now. So, you know, uh, it is. I know. How it's has a fucking this happened to go- me? Megan I've play. traveled everywhere. I've made out with so many random strangers. I've had tons of one night stands. How have I not you know, gotten COVID yet? I, but now, you now know, I get COVID. Megan, you're an anomaly. For real. You are the Terminator. I always tell people you're like the LeBron James of, of this virus because it just like for some reason hadn't gotten to you. And then finally, like this year, LeBron got hurt and the Lakers are not in the playoffs. So, you know, that today, you, you know, you got LeBron. You got LeBron. It's they just finally caught up with you. It, it, it's what happened. To be real, I did go to a giant freaking like dance party club on Sunday. A super spreader. Thinking I was immune. I think that's what we call I it. I guess. I think that's what I we call guess. that. How many phone calls old. have you had to make today? Because I didn't even, you know, I got a text, thank God, because uh, I was ready for Megan to come over. And like do the show here in the studio like we normally do. Uh, but no, no phone calls today. Nobody. You haven't seen anybody. No. Nope. That you felt compelled. Don't care. You don't care anymore. That's it. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> I find I kind of felt relieved because I was going to go like deliver food and I was going to have to travel all the way to your place, which is a pain in the ass drive. And now I'm just like, yay. Oh, yeah. God, it's a, God forbid it's a pain <laughs> in the ass drive to something that's helped like that's been so lovely and fulfilling to your life, Megan. Thanks. Good times. Yeah, just the drive. Guys, guys out there, uh, if you ever want Megan to be nice to you, just be a dick to her. Do nothing for her. Um, but if you're like a good friend to Megan, this is what you get. So let's just let's mm-hmm. just keep that. You know, let's just keep that it out there I in like the open. A- absolutely, and I, you know, and I still love you for it, Megan. I want to ask your thoughts on something before before we bring our guest on. I, I went to a yeah, dinner. Yeah, you had something to tell me. Yeah, yeah I, I want to get your thoughts on this because I. I I love the dinner party, the go hang out for your friend's birthday dinner, that whole vibe, right? But right. yesterday, I had a, I mean, like the dinner was fine. It was okay. Let's be honest. The food wasn't like the best thing I've ever had, considering how much it cost. But go go to a dinner party the whole nine. It's a birthday thing. It's so, I'm so happy to see, you know, my friend for their birthday, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, when it's the birthday thing, I usually expect I'm like, okay, look, we're going to pay for the birthday girl, the birthday boy. They're not paying for dinner tonight. We're, you know, we're going to split their cost amongst everybody else. But at the end of that motherfucking bill, when they all of a sudden you have that schmuck that sat in the corner that had like six drinks, you had this fuckhead over there that bought like two desserts and had six other drinks. And then you have Eddie 
who had one drink because he has to travel to Israel on Thursday and he's trying to take it easy. Uh, and then I get hit with a two hundred and sixty fucking dollar bill. Two hundred and sixty. Did you bucks. say something? Uh, no, I didn't say anything yesterday. I just didn't. I was I was not ready for it. I was just like my meter was about to expire on sunset, which if any of these folks that live in L.A., whenever your meter expires on sunset by the comedy store, you haul ass to that car because they're just chomping at the bit to give you a ticket or tow your fucking car. So I said, you know Mm -hmm. what? I don't want the ticket. I don't want to get towed. What are your feelings about the that splitting of the check at the end like oh my god we'll just split it with everybody how do you feel about that because i was fucking i was i was not happy let's just say that well for you talk about it before that's one thing but i when we do that i hate that because it makes me feel like i can't order what i want because i would be the jerk that orders the 50 drinks but i'm also the jerk that's aware of that yeah but you're gonna pay for your shit like i'll tip i'll tip or i'll pay extra I'll volunteer that, but usually I want to do separate a separate check, and I kind of yeah. am pushy about it because I don't want to sit there and feel like I'm holding back. Well, but clearly, that yeah. person didn't care. You're also like the one thing you're not Megan the mess about is being generous when it comes to tipping and like going to a restaurant. Like you know, you are uh, uh, like a, a great customer. Let's just say that. And when it comes to going out with friends and splitting bill and all the fuss, like Megan is on top of that shit. So anyway, I just had to get that off. My I have chest a too. suggestion. I have a suggestion. And I don't mean I know I'm your guest. And I'm not bring it. To be right bring now. it. Bring it. Don't worry. I'm going to introduce you in a you second. Always, you always have to bring cash and you do what you think it's fair. Leave the cash and leave. It's like, this is what I consumed. Boom. Mm. Yeah, that's I you like know, that. That right there is somebody who was raised in Miami. That right there is a is like the total Honestly. Miami move. Uh, so if you heard a voice from the heavens, not only is this lovely, <laughs> <laughs> elegant voice, uh, but our guest today on Kill the Bottle Podcast is a lovely lady that I met. I don't, you know, what the funny part is, is like because of COVID time, I have no idea how long ago it was. Uh, but it was not that long ago. But I I went to a but lovely- COVID COVID times are like are like times that are like. They're so hard that then you get to have COVID times that are like, like dog years. It's like it is. Seven. It's almost like the, I call it like <laughs> prices, right? Prices. Like there's no way that washing machine costs a thousand dollars on prices, right guys. It's this exaggeration of time that you just can't really kind of figure out. So anyway, I met, uh, our guest a few months ago, let's say at this really lovely dinner that was hosted by what we're sipping right now, uh, on kill the bottle podcast, uh, some, well, hopefully you're not drinking, Megan, tonight. I am. I have some whiskey. That's the nasty face I was making. That, oh, and I'm like, I'm like, mm. Megan's not going to drink. Okay, well, whatever. I am drinking a a a rum, uh, a rum called Sacapa Rum. It's a 23-year Solara. Uh, Solara process, guys, is, it's, it's, I mean, it's not that intricate of a process, but it, it could be. It could be a little bit confusing. Essentially, the, na- the age on the bottle is going to let you know the oldest of that particular, uh, in this case, rum. Usually it's done with rum. I've never really seen a Solara whiskey. Not to say it doesn't exist. Uh, but essentially, it's a blend of several different ages of of that particular spirit. In this case, it's Rom Sacapa. But uh, the number that's on the bottle is the oldest amount of spirit that's going to be in there. So this is a Gran Reserva 23. This, this, this was kind of like my go-to back in the day in Miami. I'm not going to lie. Sacapa 23 was like my go- It's also my cruise ship premium rum when it's on Ooh. the premium package at the on the cruise ship i'm like hell yeah <laughs> i suck up on the rocks at like 10 a.m by the pool um, so <laughs> oh yeah i want to welcome the voice from the heavens uh chef grace ramirez hello grace hi thank you guys for having me megan i'm i'm 
I'm sorry you have COVID right now, but I think like, so I was the OG, like I had COVID back in the days and I've had it twice. And I feel like now you're trending because you have COVID now. Oof. I had it once. <laughs> which is a very, which is a very kind of, uh, which honestly, it's very common that people are having it right now. People and just now, don't like to say anything. I thought I was going to get, I thought I was going to be the one, the one that doesn't get it, but oh well. Isn't that the irony? Because, cool. you know, two years ago, it was, it, it, you know, we didn't know. And, and yeah. it was definitely a, a lot stronger than the strain that we're getting now. Uh, and it was some scary shit. And when I, when I had yeah. it in December 2020, it was not like cough a little bit and a headache. It was I was fucking miserable. I had like oxygen measurement on my finger. Like it was it was not fun. So be yeah, glad that you got it now scary. after you've been vaccinated and you're good. Like, like, be glad, Megs, like considering, like you said, the amount of makeout sessions you've had, uh, not only with people, but microphones, puppies, like all, all of the above that you like now is when you got it. <laughs> so you're you're in good yeah. hands. I'm definitely feeling the the fog you're talking about. I was trying to play a game on my phone and I like couldn't figure it out like sudoku like i couldn't figure out sudoku and that's like a game i'm good at so i'm definitely feeling well, and I'm, I'm hoping for mm. you that that it's only like a short term because i mean it's been it's been two years for me and i still have covid brain fog for certain things like my mind just is not as quick or as sharp about certain things as it would have been before so you know yeah. I, I can no longer play like movie trivia i can't it, like jeopardy is a bitch for me now i used to love playing he's jeopardy. just making excuses for his non-intelligence <laughs> is that what i'm doing is that what i'm doing yes grace chef did you what was your COVID experience like um it's been two times that has been rough for me yeah i i i, I had it in march um you know i was like coming back from rwanda volunteering at a job and, and, you know, I remember sitting, I had a layover in Qatar of eight hours. Um, you know, you're coming from a volunteering trip, so you're very inspired and, and your heart is full of joy. And um, I remember sitting in Qatar for eight hours and, you know, the news were on saying a pandemic is about, you know, is kicking off and, and I remember sitting there and I was sipping some sakapa at that lounge. <laughs> Very and, on brand. And I'm like, there is no way I'm not going to be able to get this, this virus here because there were all these planes landing from China. I had eight hours in Qatar and I had no mask. So oh, I man. knew yeah. that I, I, was, I was in danger. And I, I did. I did have the virus back then. Um, it was very scary. And I have asthma. So it oh, was no. full on. It was very full on. And, I, and yeah, like it was it was a lot of um, having to call my cousin in Spain who had been dealing with the virus for two more weeks than us. He goes, do not go to the hospital, whatever you do. This is how you need to treat it. And I had friends in the right places that send me oxygen and send me a nebulizer. And, and I was able to to battle it the best way I could. And and I remember having a dream. I, I took it very like uh, very Latino. No, you know, I had a dream with my grandma. She goes, go back to the basics, go back to the basics. So I I, I hit it with all the home remedies I could. So every moment. La sopa de pollo. I had caldos, every bone uh, broth that I could find and I could make. I, I was having, I was doing this mencurjes full on with garlic mashed in a mortero with, um, in a mortal and pesto with uh, manuka honey. Um, 
you know, very high grade Monaco honey with the ginger, lemon and, and garlic, and I was having a lot of that and doing all my nebulizers and all my stuff. And I, I have to say there were some scary moments. Like I, I, I was like literally writing my will. <laughs> oh no. Like, yeah. I was like, I was like, I don't know. They were nice. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to survive this thing that feels very terrible. And, and I just had it um, a month ago again. And, and it wasn't pretty either, even though I have three vaccines later. So, yeah, um, you know, I think this virus has taught us a lot and, yeah. and it's definitely shaped the last um, two years of where I stand as a humanitarian and activist, as a chef. You know, I worked with World Central Kitchen for the past two years. Yeah, um, I was going to say it didn't scare you enough to not go serve <laughs> hundreds and thousands of meals, correct? <laughs> It gave me more strength, you know, because I knew I had it and I knew that for three months I was going to be immune to to this virus. So it was mm-hmm. kind of like the thing to to do, serve the community and serve my industry, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it was, yeah, I feel like a little bit of a superhero. I survived this thing and now I can go out and, and give to my community and my people in New York, which I love so much. Um, for those of you who weren't listening, I live in an in an apartment and they're doing construction and I don't know what they're, who they're paying, but they're doing construction. So very late of the night, you know, they're building and, a sex dungeon um, in your neighbor's I, apartment. Yeah, That's what I think it is. They're putting in swings. Like it's the whole deal. Yeah. I don't know what's happening, but I feel so bad because it's so loud till very late. And I was like, where am I going to record this? That it's quiet. So I am standing, I am sitting in, um, in, in some, in a staircase in Soho house. So if, forgive me if it's somehow, Loud Trust me, in the back at there, some point. there are worse staircases <laughs> you could be them. sitting in than Soho House in New York City. It's so true, you true. know. <laughs> now, no, but here's the like: which Soho House in New York City are you down? Are you meatpacking? Ah, okay, okay, got it. You see, because that New York City not only has one in Soho, but they 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 have you know they... Ludlow and and yeah, it's Ludlow and and Dumbo. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny because you heard <laughs> you heard us work. talking about you know the split check and the split check event yesterday was not at Soho House, but it was at a similar concept of a place, uh, you know, membership place, and uh, oh, yeah. yeah, it those was it was hard, one of those. Man. I was like, yeah, this is they great. They build you hard with those, but you know what? Always. I, I say this to everyone. I meant to always carry cash, guys, because you can get out of a situation very fast. Thing is, a lot Just of places now. I mean, people, your friends will take cash, but a lot of places now, like you can't even pay with cash, and they used to say cash is king. It doesn't king. matter. Not right you now. Venmo. You say yeah. here is my cash. You take care of it. They have the cash. They can do whatever they want. But yeah. So you, yeah, no, no, no. You, you said you obviously you 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 do uh, you do some work with World Central Kitchen. Where, where does the story start for you as far as wanting to be a chef? Well, um, I want to talk for a second about World Central Kitchen because they're like my family, you know, and the documentary, which is, which is very relevant right now, we feed people, it's coming out in, in Nat Geo, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just plug it. And it's about Jose as you and, should. Yeah. and World Central Kitchen because He's a special people, guy. Have to see, people have to see the work he's done and we've done and um and i am in for a whole 40 seconds which was amazing that's awesome <laughs> look anytime you can do anything with jose andres that's recorded for 40 seconds is a special you, time you take it yeah 
And it's, it's, yeah, it's going to be hearing and, and and we just, last week we had the premiere um, and, you know, it's looking back into what, what that organization has done. And I started with them in Puerto Rico, you know, I went with them to Puerto Rico, to Maria, then to the Bahamas after Dorian and then uh, in the Venezuela and Colombian border. And I helped set up the Venezuela operation. And then with COVID-19, um, you know, I helped lead the, the, the initiative here in New York. And, and what, what they do is remarkable. And, you know, we're a chef relief team. And I think that that is first and foremost my greatest passion. But I became a chef uh, after working for, for Bobby Flay, Throwdown, directing his shows. Um, so you were a TV director? Yeah. I, I used to work first in Nickelodeon, then MTV, then the Food Network. And I became in love with the industry. And I think that... I'm sure you guys know this, like this industry that calls you or not, mm-hmm. either you're meant for it or you're not. And, and I remember sitting, you know, at a bar and talking to chefs and being in a kitchen. I was like, I belong here. You know, I, it was hard because I was a career changer. And I was like, I can become a chef now. I'm still paying for debts for school, you know, working like as a TV producer. How am I going to become a chef now? But I think that after doing Master Chef US for, you know, the first one and and it were really bad um, for me. But I remember Gordon Ramsay saying, you should go to culinary school and come back. And, and that's where I got the strength to do culinary school. And it was the best thing that I could have done. I applied for a scholarship for the French Culinary Institute, which it was a culinary institute that, you know, Bobby Flay went to and, and um, David Chang went to and, and I said, I'm going to do this because this is what I want to do. Is that the but one that's in New York? Hard, I'm not going to lie. Is that the one that was in New York? Yeah, that's no just, longer the, yeah, that closed. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember I ate lunch. I remember I ate lunch there yeah. one time in the little corner window. Yeah. Uh, and it was like mm-hmm. one of the most, you know, cause when students are cooking, they're like cooking their asses off. They're trying like yeah. extra hard. And I remember yeah. having just the most lovely meal at, uh, yeah. you know, and very cheap. Oh, for the, for the level of food that it was. Yeah. Oh my God. It was it was yeah. out of control. It was so good. I remember yeah, I had this like beautiful was, meringue. T- I was like, "This is yeah, this is great. This person is going to charge me ten times as much when they open their own restaurant <laughs> in a few years." One hundred percent. That was the beauty of the French Culinary Do You know, we had the restaurant downstairs that we got to cook for real people. It was like the best kept secret that you get to have like an amazing meal. I think it was forty dollars for for like a five or six course meal. Um, that was cooked by students, but like you were saying, we were proving ourselves. So it was it was very special. But 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 we're glad that we had that experience of being able to serve at a quote unquote um, restaurant like atmosphere for our last semester. That it taught us kind of like the speed and what it was to serve New York. It, it, it was incredible. I mean, we were all very sad when it closed due to um, you know the pandemic, but. But, but it, it lives in our heart because it was a great place to to have studied at. Did, but did you ever cook as a kid or did you always want to be in television production? Because I never wanted to cook as a kid and now I cook a lot. <laughs> so you know I was trying to I, like, I figure that, out where that flips for people. I think that, that, that we have very similar stories in the sense of like, you know, our abuelas used to cook yeah. and everything revolved around food. But our abuelas didn't want us in our kitchen, right? It was like, no, I got this. Yep. Tú no haces nada. Pretty much. Yep. Go outside and play sports. 
Yeah, exactly. It was kind of like this thing where you grew up around food and around the kitchen, but grandmas wanted to, that's the way they, they show love. So they didn't yeah. want you to be cooking. They didn't want you helping them. It was their way of, of showing love and appreciation, but you still felt how special it was to cook and bring people together. So I think that that for me was it. Like the, the, the crazy thing was that my grandmother was a great cook and my grandfather was a great cook. And it was very weird because he's like, um, you know, a general, a former general for the army of Venezuela. So, you know, but he's from this, this uh, part of Venezuela that, um, that people love to eat. So I grew up seeing them cooking. And when I left to my, back, because I'm from Miami, I was born there. But when I went back to Miami to go to um, university, I, I, I missed that so much that that feeling home of, of cooking and, and bringing people together. So I started cooking for my, my uh, peers at MTV and Nickelodeon because we were all kind of like a little homesick because we were from Peru, Argentina, Chile, Venezuela, Colombia. And my way of showing appreciation for them and bringing them together was cooking. So I started experimenting little by little and then I fell in love with it. Was that MTV Miami, like MTV Latino that was there Latino, on Lincoln yeah. Road? Exactly. 1111 Lincoln Road. Yeah. Oof. That's where I, I started my career. I was uh, 19 years old and I, I was there as a production assistant for Nickelodeon. And then, you know, I moved over to the MTV side and then I moved to New York to launch MTV Tres, oh, yeah. which was for, um, you know, Hispanic, U.S. Hispanic. And then, and then, and then I moved to the Food Network. So that's been kind of my career path. but. MTV has, you know, and Nickelodeon kind of shaped what it was as a professional. Yeah, I can't remember which came first, if it was MTV Tres or uh, Mundos, but they were, you know, very, uh, uh, you know, Latino-centric channels, Mundos yeah. being Telemundo NBC and obviously MTV Tres being MTV. I just Mundos I, was first, yeah. Mundo, okay, yeah. So I, I worked for Mundos. I was a talk show host on Mundos, year two of their existence. So and it was just it's just funny. And I'm sure you and I have crossed paths before, but Megan, Megan was making faces at me when I, I talked about cooking. I these existed, these MTVs. What are you talking these, about? These darn fandangled MTV Is channels. MTV white German people TV? <laughs> No, that's that's just regular yeah. MTV is MTV white. Oh, I made a I made a face <laughs> at you when you're like I cook a lot and I I held back saying pork. Um, you can but, say pork. We look Cubans just, cook a lot of pork, okay? And we love. I mean, the the irony is I love pigs and I think they're so fucking cute. So I never want to see a pig. I never want to touch a pig. I don't. I know. I love seeing like little pig videos on Instagram, but I will eat the fuck out of a pig. I am the I'm a walking contradiction. I can't help it. I'm sorry. I can't, Megan. The second thing I was going to get your guys' opinion on, I just had my first Hispanic family experience. I went to a, um, a full like Mexican family had me over on Mother's Day and it was it was very different from my experience. Um, and she yeah, you're right, mom doesn't stop i tried to go serve myself because she's like oh let me get you something to eat and i followed her she's like sit down like go sit down and it's like yeah. moving around and serving you and she made my burger for me like she put all like it I was, what my mom would have been like go oh, fuck yourself like go make your own burger <laughs> so it, it's a very inclusive culture oh, i get yelled yeah. at because and, i wash my own thing. dishes yeah yeah I exactly <laughs> i go that wash my own dishes thing. i'm like yeah yeah 
Yeah, that is the thing about Latin families, you know, eh, eh, you want to show your love and appreciation to someone by serving them. And I think that is, and this is why we Latinos do so well in the hospitality industry because yeah. it's it's a culture of service. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She didn't stop moving. It, yeah. You don't find it shameful to serve. You find it actually joyful and loving to serve. And I think that that's, that's something that, that is very beautiful in, in, in a culture of if I'm serving you, I'm loving you and I'm showing you my love and appreciation. And I think that that is, that, that is why, uh, again, we do so well in, in the hospitality industry because as, as a line cook, as a prep cook, as a chef, as a mixologist, you know, I, I am serving you and I'm showing you love and appreciation. Well, and and honestly, just from, you know, from being around you and and having tasted your food, even though, you know, even though cooking for a ton of people is very different than cooking for a smaller amount of people, um, your that that energy just comes out in you. You know, when 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 you walk out, it's 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 just uh, it's a it's you know, they say it's like a people have like a glow. You have that glow when you're talking about food, when you're talking about that, that coming from that place of service. And it's a, it's a oh, beautiful thing. I, have, I almost feel just, and I, and I think I Megan, have no glow coming from my parents' house. No, you have a glow. It's There's, called, you're sweating from COVID. <laughs> That's your glow. After goulash, I'm uh, like. <laughs> well, no, it, it's, it's this, um, I, I you know, I don't know how to explain it more than it's just like in your blood. And regardless yeah. of, of what you're doing, um, it, it, it just comes out. And, and I think Megan can attest to that, too, in the sense where there's almost like a lack of that right now in the service industry. Um, yes. yeah. there's, yes. this, there's this lack of not only pride, because, man, you could be a dishwasher and be proud of how good you are at your job. Regardless, because I think when you carry pride, it's going to translate to every other aspect of your life because, you know, maybe you're you're washing dishes while you're learning English in this country and then you're going to move up and you're going to be a line cook and you're going to do this. But if you take pride in what you do and is that something because, you know, Venezuelans and Megan may not be privy to this, but Venezuelan not to dive into politics, it's not about the politics, but they have very similar things that are that have happened in Venezuela that have happened in cuba cubans and venezuelans connect a lot because there's so many similarities in quote unquote the motherland do you think any of that has to do with your pride in what you do absolutely i think you know uh, venezuelans we we lost our country as a country as as the way cubans have always as we know it and i think that for me it has to do with two things it has to do first with making my family proud mm-hmm and I was being yep. proud to where we come from. And, and, you know, I feel so proud of my abuelitos and my mom. You know, I remember in Miami, and, and you can relate to this, Eddie, like, you know, um, it, it was very hard for us to speak Spanish. Like, our mom spoke Spanish and our grandparents spoke Spanish, but, like, our generation was weird, right? Um, like, do we speak Spanish? Do we not? Are we proud? Yeah. Was always like, are you gonna speak Spanish? Like, we need to be proud of where we come from, and and um and like my mom was always very, yo no te entiendo, I don't understand you if you speak English to me, and 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 at first it was because I was a girl in Miami, like speaking, you know, English, and I didn't want to really, 
you know, deal with speaking Spanish. But like, I'm glad she pushed me to speak Spanish and, and, and that I was able to speak to my my abuelos, my grandparents. And 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 not only she was hard, she was like, you're going to not only speak, we're going to read and write it. Um, and now oh, I'm yeah. forever thankful because because you know what? Um, that's taught me to be very proud of where of who we are and where we come from. And when things started happening in Venezuela 20 something years ago, it was kind of like my, my parents and my grandparents saying, you know, no matter what happens, we need to be proud of where we come from. And, and, and for me, it was kind of obvious because I had a beautiful childhood and I was very thankful to the childhood that I had and my grandparents and the upbringing that they had. My mom was a single mom. My dad died when I was a year old and my grandparents raised me and I grew up in a beautiful Latin family full of more than 70 cousins and and the food was a connector a for all of us they don't have condoms in venezuela <laughs> 70 cousins yeah, that's a lot of cousins yeah i had a lot of cousins it's a it's I a loving a family of- guys where latinos are loving people sorry i just i heard yeah. 70 cousins i'm like i have three <laughs> no you know what the funny thing is you know what the funny thing is, is like now that I cook and I look back, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they did it every Sunday, hosting 50 plus guests. It's amazing. Every Sunday to whoever my uncle's or my aunt's house was. But somehow they made it seem seamless. They made it seem easy and they made it feel so loving. So I create that. I always... But don't get me wrong. Now that I cook, I realized it was, it's very expensive and it's very challenging. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in a way to honor them, you know, it was kind of like a making my family really proud and carrying that tradition over and B, you know, being from Miami, um, having grown up there and coming then to New York and, and studying, um, to become a chef here. You know, when you're here, you're Latino, right? Um, mm-hmm. You can have an Ecuadorian in the kitchen, an Ecuadorian, Honduras, Mexican. Uh, we're all Latinos in the mm-hmm. kitchen. And, and unfortunately, because of the circumstances, you know, you become really ashamed kind of, of, of that you're working in the kitchen and that you don't really speak English and that you don't have papers, unfortunately. That's mm-hmm. the truth. And, 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 I, and my role in kitchens here was kind of carrying that flag of, no, we need to be really proud of who we are as Latinos, um, you know, and, and honestly, we feed America. Like, come on, like the person who grows your tomatoes, the person who grows your cucumbers, the person who's growing your food, most of them are Latinos. And the, the people picking the food, grapes up in Napa. Yeah. They, 100%. Megan and I were in Napa a couple months ago. And yeah, it's, it's 100%. I'm going to go live with them. I'm going to go this fall and pick with them. I'm excited. They're and you should. It's ass. so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And you should learn about, you know what, Megan, like really go and see and go to a family, go eat pozole with them after mm-hmm. the picking grapes and, and see the, the, the people behind the people who are making your best wine and, yeah. and picking your tomatoes and, 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 and your lettuce, because they're beautiful stories. You know, I work with an organization done by Monica Ramirez, the humans who feed us, and we're trying to bring attention to the humans who feed us, which mainly are Latinos. So for me, it's, it's been like kind of like a three-part journey of, of really celebrating Latin American culture, not only from my upbringing, but my mom has lived in Mexico for... 
So first of all, oh, hold on. We lost you for a second. Your, your mom lived in Mexico for how long? Celebrating. My mom lives, lives, she currently lives in Mexico oh, and okay. she's in Manzanillo and she's been there more than a decade. Uh, and before that, she's lived in Chile, in, in Buenos Aires. And so it's, for me, it's, it's celebrating, first of all, my heritage, Venezuela, uh, but also I've been privileged enough to visit her all over Latin America. So I'm very proud of, of, of our, our Latin heritage, but my mom lives in Mexico. And, and also being here, a Latina in the United States, means celebrating all Latin cultures, you know? And, you know, as you know, Eddie, like being from Miami, you are, you are partly Cuban if you are from Miami, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, think regardless like, of wherever you're from, you're like an honorary Cuban if, you've, if you lived in Miami, even if you don't speak a word of Spanish, uh, you know? We all, had, we all had like our white friend that would come to, you know, to the birthday party and would be fully embraced into arroz and frijoles and whatever. Uh, so, yeah, there, there is something about about and that. that caja yeah. china. Come on. Uh, it's funny because there's a caja china like seven feet away from me <clears throat> right now in my backyard. Uh, caja china is a roasting box where we do this whole like a, mostly roasting a whole pig in there. Um, Shocking. It, it's yeah, right. It's funny, Grace, that you mentioned, you know, that, that you talk about this because uh, it, it's it's one of these things that it's hard for uh, for for any I, I don't know if, if it's any first generation, at least from my experience. And, I, and I'm sure you can attest to this because, you know, like my parents went through some shit. So when I'm complaining and I feel like, oh, it's ha- this is hard, or this is this, or this is that, I, I, you know, not to give away the date that we're recording this, but, you know, in a couple days, I, I'm flying to Israel, the uh, first time I've ever been to the Middle East, and I'm, I'm going to go explore wine in the country. But ironically, the day that I fly to Israel is the same day that my it. father came from Cuba in 1962. It was the day that my family came from Cuba. And I know the shit that my dad went through, you know, when he got here, or even before he got here. And it's one of those things where, like, every time I'm tired, I'm like, man, can I just get away with feeling tired and feeling fucking, like, whatever today? No, I can't. Because they went through worse shit. So I can never, I always feel guilty complaining about anything. Anything. Because I'm always like, no. I got to honor them. You got to work harder. And, and I guess growing up in Miami, it's, it's present all the time. You turn on the radio, you turn yeah. on the TV, you, you, you talk to anybody. It's like you can't get away from it. Um, yeah, well, first of all, you're going to love Israel. Um, I can't uh, wait. I, yeah, you're going to love it. And I can't wait for you. Oh. That side of the world. And, you know, I just, I just came back myself. Um, from that side of the world two weeks ago and, and um it's such a fascinating place you know where where i think it's like again it's like the birth of civilization as we know it comes yeah. from there right like all major religions um and uh, yeah this time it went with reality and it's, it's an organization kind of like young global leaders of the world um i went to the palestine side and went to the israel side and and, you know, you see a different narrative there once you're there and that makes you, but also it's like you're saying, it makes you appreciate also our journey. And, and we've been, we've been through as, as immigrant, uh, as child from immigrants. Right. Um, and I feel the same way. I'm always, 
I, th- I think it's like having children. You always feel guilty, right? You, I don't have children, but I, all moms feel guilty somehow. Um, and I feel like ch- children of immigrants, we always feel guilty and we never, we always feel like we have to honor our heritage and our, on our parents. It, it's and our the burden of success. Somehow. It's a burden yeah. of ha- whatever success. Success doesn't mean, you know, whatever, a, a, a $20 million a year. That's not, but you have this burden of, um, you know, like, like bettering whatever it is that you bring to the, to the, to this world in, in, in some way you feel, you know, as a chef, whether you are a doctor, whether you, you know, whether you work as an insurance agent, you always feel like you, you have this burden of honoring and, and, and struggle of people before you. It's just weird. I don't, I don't know. Megan. You know, I think, I think that the, the thing is also, it's like, um, we don't have a plan B because we need to make plan A work because we know what our parents have been through and we know, uh, and, and I always talk about that, like what has been the secret to the success? I was like, the secret has been that I have no plan B, uh, that I've need to work really, really hard. And I, um, and people see my life on Instagram and, 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 and they think it's this thing. And the truth is, I don't stop working ever. No, we <laughs> like, never stop working. I am just hustling all the time. And I, and I want people to know that, like, you know, I have a beautiful intern, Diabellas, and she's been wonderful to me this semester. And she goes, if I, you know, I used to follow you on Instagram whenever I thought, like, you work this hard. And it, I, I do. I, I'm working all the time. Well, because people, you know, people... <sighs> It's the same thing as when when people will will, met, will talk to me on Instagram and say, "Hey, my," God, they'll they'll meet me in person. Then it'll be like, "Oh my God, I would expect you to weigh four hundred pounds with what you eat." I'm like, "Dude, I posted one picture in three weeks. So if I only ate that one meal in three weeks, I would look Ethiopian." You know what I mean? Like, I, there's this like kind of disconnect um, that people have. I think when it comes to social media, Megan, I know that like. One thing I love about Megan is that Megan is like a sponge. Megan is this person who will embrace culture, want to learn about people. What? And I, I just want to ask her because, I mean, she's being like bombarded by two Latinos here from Miami. Uh, is there, you know, what, what has been the biggest culture shock for you in a good way? Uh, 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 having left Colorado, moving to LA and being around so many Latinos that that maybe you just weren't accustomed to. I know you said you went to the, the, the family dinner where they were building something for building your burger and that would have never happened in your house. But that's 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 just because your parents are drunk on fireball. But what what would be what's something culturally that maybe is connected with you? Because I'm, I'm really curious of your perspective, because it, it I, I, I have I can't see the world through your eyes in that way. Um, well, don't forget you in Colorado, I, where I lived, I was the minority as well. So my, the school I taught at was, I think 68%, um, Hispanic. Um, they, so I was, I was one of the few white people at the school. So I, I did know their families and I did participate in like their after school stuff where we did the, what do you call it? The bingos and the, the, there's a name for that. Um, Anyway, we would do. We, Loteria. I, I wasn't. Loteria. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. Loteria. Is that how you yeah. say it? Yeah, Loteria is um, like Mexican yeah. bingo. Yeah. Mexican bingo. No, we would do. We would do stuff, and we really. In back my last year, we started a whole group that was focused on including 
the um, all the culture that we weren't including, including, you know, the big thing that we made a change on. And we had a spokesperson about it that advocated for it was, you know, when we sent newsletters home for years, you didn't get newsletters in Spanish. So parents weren't able to participate in events because they didn't they didn't know what the newsletter said. So now we're required, we were required to make sure we have Spanish and English sent out in every email and everything we sent home. Um, and then we had more access. Thank you for yeah, doing we had that. More, more access to people who um, would translate because if you know if a kid's acting up and you're telling their parent who speaks no English, your kid's an asshole. <laughs> the kids just going to their parent being like, oh, she says I'm doing great. So we had more teachers come in and start translating. Um, so I, that wasn't a huge shock. I think what I'm always going to be shocked about is the bond and the family bonds um, that you guys all have and how inclusive it all is. I, I, I think just coming from a German white family, I, I can't get away from my family. Like I can't get far enough away from my family. Which is, and it feels like everyone that. loves to be around their family. It doesn't mean I don't love that. I think that's just a huge difference. Like we don't bond like that, you know? It's it's funny that you mentioned that, Megan, because a little light bulb is going off in my head because, you know, I, Megan's been over to my house a, a, a lot. And I treat Megan like family. Like, I embrace her when she comes here. Here's everybody. Like, And Megan is and so, I'm so distant. uncomfortable. It's the... Yeah. Sorry. Great. great. If you saw her walk into my house, like, people... Like, it, it, she just... She's like, oh, my God. They're, they're going to love me. Ah, I'm going to run away, you know? Feels you know, weird. But, but you know what, Megan? I think that, that you brought up... First of all, thank you for doing that and acknowledging that because I think that what you exactly saying was my role. And, and I think that it also was have to honor my folks to the key of my success in New York kitchens was I was a person translating from my prep and my line cooks into my executive chef. Right. So they would, the executive chef would be like, tell them that go ask themselves. Like, What's a horrible job. And I was like, what he's really saying is <laughs> so I would like to translate the soft version of it. Yes. And, and my line cooks practice because of the tone, they will be like, he's not saying that Grace, tell me the truth. And I was like, well, he's saying that in a very mean way, but you don't need to know that. So I would soften it up and I would be yeah. that person who the would buffer. translate. And, and it, I was a hundred percent the buffer. And it was, it was, um, I, I wanted them to feel special. I wanted them to feel loved and, and appreciated for the work that they were doing. And I think that, you know, back then, then um, it was, it was a very different era for the kitchens in New York. You know, it was, it was accepted and celebrated to be treated like crap. Now that's no longer tolerated. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for that shift in our industry that we were able to, to um, it's, it's no longer cool to people to try like crap. And Back then, it was cool to treat people like crap. Yeah. And, and that, to me, was, was not okay. Um, because we're humans and we deserve to be treated fairly and compensated with fairly. Respect. And I, and I'm, and with respect. And I'm, I'm glad that that, that has changed. Um, but then the second thing that you're mentioning, you know, uh, the person who, who is my right hand in a lot of the crazy things I do, uh, Chef Melissa Tung, and, and she's wonderful, but she's, you know, her family is, um, is 
Chinese American and, and she feels so uncomfortable and it's like watching you, she cringes and, 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 you know, and I try to hug her and she's always like, I can yeah. try to give guys. Megan a hug. If you ever meet her, it's the, I should just let me record it ahead of time. Yeah. And I understand because Melissa's the same way. And, I, and the funny thing is I just took her to Mexico for the first time um, because we're doing a project there and, and she couldn't believe it. She's like, this is, it's una melcocha. She said it in English. Like, this is too much for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is so sweet. Everyone wants to drug me. Everyone wants to show me love. Everyone wants to like take me into their family. And I, yeah. I just can't handle it. And it's overwhelming. And, and it, it, it is overwhelming. It. it is overwhelming. So I, I understand that I'm always trying to be very mindful of that, but that is a thing. And she has a really funny anecdote that I want to share. So we went to Plaza Garibaldi, which is like the mariachi plaza in Mexico City, because I love mariachi. With a and good Italian die, wanna... name. Yeah, Plaza yeah. Garibaldi. <laughs> yeah. And I want to be dressed as a mariachi if I, if I pass. And, and I, 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 because to me, mariachi equals fun celebratory occasion. Mm-hmm. And I take her there and we go into this, um, you know, cantina where they're singing, you know, Juan Gabriel, of course. And <laughs> of course. if you don't know Juan Gabriel, you have to right now do whatever you have to do in a browser and you have to know who yeah. Juan Gabriel is. Yeah. And, and, and she, porn. Said, she said, she said, <laughs> she said, I can't believe that in this cantina, it was like the grandmother with the oxygen walking in with a baby, walking in with the mom and the dad and five cousins. And like, yeah. that was the environment of Plaza Garibaldi. Like, and that is part of, of, of the beauty of the Latin culture. You take your grandparents and your, your olders everywhere. Yeah. You take yeah. them everywhere and you celebrate with them. And I remember like I would, and, and I still support, you know, a lot of my family and, and like, y- you are like a tribe. You go with your grandmother, your grandfather and your cousins and whoever else you can afford to bring. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's it's, yeah. it's, I, I always joke. The guy I'm kind of seeing, uh, I, just, I, I, I do make jokes about it. It's just like he's like, oh, my every every freaking story starts with, oh, my cousin showed me. Oh, my cousin showed me. Oh, my cousin showed me. I was like, which one, bro? <laughs> well, does he have seven like, of them like Grace? Show me shit. Or does he have six of them that you can probably like? I, I don't know. He, I assumed you, it was like 30 plus. You need a chart. You need like a cousin chart. Like a graph. I need a family thing. If you're dating a white girl, you need to you need to plan it out for us so we can understand what's happening. That's a you will never understand that. Just embrace it. It's an ancestry.com okay. for white chicks dating Latin guys. So you just like put your whole family tree into an app and then let your white girlfriend log into the app so that she can figure out this is Julio, this is Joaquin. Joaquin used to fuck this person, but they're no longer together. They have a baby. Like you need all of that into one app. I know I do. Business opportunity do. right here. You can't steal but it. Proof his of concept. Mother, his mother was very, very sweet. And the whole family was very, very sweet and inclusive. And it was, it, it, they didn't leave me alone for a second, which isn't, you know, when you go to a lot of my culture's houses, like you, you can be sitting alone on your phone for like an hour and like not talk to anybody and no one would notice. Oh. So it's just, there was no time for that. It's very sweet. I have a Cuban friend who, who uh, he's been to our mutual friend's home or our mutual friend, sorry, our mutual friend's parents' home up in the Midwest. And he's like, dude, it's the, he's, he's from Miami, like me. And he's like, dude, it's the weirdest thing because you go 
the the parents like greet you they bring you into like a study they give you like one drink so they pour you a glass of wine they have it all timed out you you drink and you talk shit for like 30 minutes then they open the doors the food is like ready in the kitchen you sit down you eat you don't talk and then they kick you the fuck out of the house and he was like i'm so confused i don't i was like it was lovely everybody was lovely it's not even it's just like he's like i'm so confused i don't know why are people why are people leaving why are people not like talking in the driveway for an additional hour because <laughs> every time we, as a kid, drunk, we never so. left we're like, oh, we're going to leave now. You get to the car in the driveway and my dad would have another one hour conversation with my, cu- you know, it was that, that was it. So it's, I, I get you, Megan. And I'm trying to break the Hi. egg open. I'm, I'm going to crack the shell, Megan. I promise you. I, I will. <laughs> she's like, you will never. I will be a cold German with will embrace. I will embrace my German culture. Uh, Grace, <laughs> what is, any job, what is the worst job you ever had? Oh yeah, you um, you know I two two jobs that I've had that were horrible. Um, so I loved working in Nickelodeon. Obviously, I was mm-hmm. I was a producer there, and I've met some of the greatest people and mentors that I have met in my lifetime. But one time, the person that was supposed to be inside, and I feel like a lot of people have this story, but like when you have this story, you wanna acknowledge the story because. I was, I needed to be inside a Rugrat custom. And if, if you don't know who a Rugrat is, it's like a, like a Mickey Mouse. Before SpongeBob, SpongeBob. Exactly. So like being, and, and there was a promo that needed to be filmed in the middle of Flamingo Park in the summer, over a hundred and something degrees. And I needed to be inside this custom running. Like if I was, cause it was a Rugrat marathon. So literally they brought the customs and we needed to run inside this customs. So, you know, the person that was supposed to be inside one of the Rugrats didn't show up. So of course they put the production assistant. Of course. Oh, no. And, and I needed to run inside this custom and I, I, I nearly fainted. And then yeah, I, I vomited because it was so hot and I was dehydrated. And um, yeah, it was one of those things that I was like, wow, okay, I am running inside a, a Rugrat custom. And, and, um, and it was funny because I, I just, I'm, I'm very late in the game, but I just saw Secession season one, episode one. Ooh, I'm still in the middle of it. Don't so feel good. late. No, I'm still it's in the nice middle of season cold, one. It's Megan, like your family. It's perfect. I know. So, it reminds be- me of them. <laughs> But, but, wait, but in that episode one, season one, yeah. he is inside this custom, one of the characters, and he starts vomiting from the eyes. And oh, that yeah. was basically me oh, um, no. inside this Rugrat custom. But I wasn't on any drugs. I wasn't on anything. I was just completely dehydrated and almost like fainting from the heat um, of this custom. I think that's been really uh, the worst one. And then. You know, I have to say, like, back, like I said, back in the days working in a New York kitchen, when I started culinary school 15 years ago, it was very, very, very rough. You know, you were making minimum wage and, and, and working, you know, 12, 14 hour days. And, um, you know, every part of your human body will hurt, even parts that you didn't know existed. Oh, hurt. yeah. And and I I think the the kitchen has taught me a lot of humility and humbleness um, of working in a line for that amount of hours under 
you know, most of New York kitchens are like on a little dungeon or they're very small and they're very hot and you feel like you're about to faint and die <laughs> any minute. You know, so yeah. From from personal experience, I I always like to ask people and, and it's funny because I think it's you're the first person I've ever thought to ask this on the show. But in my personal life, I always ask people this. And, you know, when you have your worst job, your worst experience in that world, I, and it's funny that I've never asked somebody this on the show, but you're going to be the first. What did you learn from it? Because I, I think that in every opportunity in our worst jobs, I've had, I've had, you know, I, I, I can directly connect what I do now for a living to some of the worst experiences I ever had, but I learned from it. What, it, what did you take Absolutely. from it that you, that you still well, use today that helped you? Um, first of all, I think, I think that, that um, humbleness and, and humility of understanding what people um, who serve, uh, you know, as chefs, as cooks, as mixologists, et cetera, go through. So the level of appreciation that I have for people behind the bar, behind the line, is no joke. Like, you know, I, I get treated to a lot of places and I, I, I am, I am known for carrying cash and, and, mm-hmm. and living a big tip, no matter, yeah. you know, if I'm comped or not, because I understand that you are serving me. Um, and, and I understand what that entails, you know, and, and I think that, um, having that under my belt has really carried me through of all the work that I do with World Central Kitchen for the work with the community. And, and uh, you know, it, it was essential to what I did with the, you know, COVID um, New York initiative. You know, I was helping supervise 100,000 meals a day and helping save over 250 restaurants from closing. And it was a level of dedication and, and passion for my community that helped me do that. Because um, I understood, first of all, I understood very well um, that, that um, you, have to, you have to understand, like, people, you know, let's say Pepito Perez was passing from COVID and their family couldn't know that who Pepito Perez was because his paper said Juan Valdez but he was really Pepito Perez. Yeah. And this is, this is, some, this is a, a reality we face in this country, either you like it or not. You know, a, a lot of our workers uh, that work in our community and in our industry are undocumented. So they have um, fake papers and, and there was no way to tell their families that that person passed because we really didn't know who he was. Wow. So imagine like, and, and I and I, I had a firsthand understanding of that when I was working. I was one of the lucky few who was born in this country and 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 had papers to work here. But you know, it's something that that people don't talk about and that we're not proud of. But it is the reality. And 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 you know what? If it wasn't for our immigrant workers in this country. America could not be fed, period. And, well, and we don't talk about this enough. And, and, and we need to raise awareness this because there's so many issues around this topic. And if it wasn't for immigrant workers, you could not eat or drink in this country, period. Well, Did I, you say you were doing a project about where food comes from? What yes, was that? The what humans, you were saying? The humans who feed us. Yeah, it's about raising okay. awareness about 
about um, the humans who feed us. And what does that specifically entail? What's happening with that? It, it is. It is. So it's Monica Ramirez is, a, is an amazing activist raising awareness to to to, um, you know, as you're going to go see me and. Um, when you're picking grapes, when you're picking tomatoes, when you're picking asparagus, a lot of the times it's very hot and the conditions are very poor. So we're raising awareness to have better conditions for these workers. And a lot mm. of these workers, um, you know, depending on where we are, we are trying to also, um, you know, make different laws so people can come and go from Mexico legally and have a work permit just to pick your grapes, just to pick our stargas and to pick our tomatoes. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a work permit um, based on the season. So you can come and go as you please. So people don't have to remain here illegally. Um, so it has to do with a lot of changing different laws to have better treatment for these people. There, I smell a TV show happening. Well, you bring this white girl to all these places. And show me how it's all done and see how I venture in it. Well, there, there's <laughs> so a movie. I'm going to have like 50 barrels of grapes and I'm going to have one by the end of the day. <laughs> but but I'll, I, the thing is, like when I when I was still in the acting world in the mid 2000s, there was a film that came out and it was called A Day Without a Mexican. And it portrayed a day in Los Angeles if every single Mexican person who worked in in landscaping restaurants was not there. And it's kind of a parody, but it's a perspective on life, you know, read between the lines there. And, and it parallels a lot of what you're talking about. And I invite, I mean, it's not, a, honestly, it's not a great movie, but it, 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 uh, it had a bit of success in that independent film world because it really showed what Los Angeles would look like if one day every undocumented Mexican person just disappeared. All of a sudden, you're at the restaurant, you know, and it, it's the person at the restaurant and nobody's picking up their dishes. Nobody's, <laughs> you know, and and I think that's where I think where where, you know, social media gives us this insight, let's say, or what we think is insight. Like you were talking about, people think your life is a certain thing, um, but it doesn't give people perspective. It doesn't give people this reality of perspective. And when you when you when you get on the ground floor, like you said, you know, with Jose Andres, you you were in Ru in Rwanda, you were in like you you can you have a different perspective. Like I'm going to have a different perspective when I go to Israel in a couple of days, different than what I see on the news. And I, I'm I'm just really proud of what you're doing because it's it's shedding light on different perspectives. That's all I'm saying right oh, now is I'm just I'm really you. proud of it because it. It it makes me happy to see, and it, it you know everybody have a has a perspective. So there's two sides to every story. Make sure you learn both before you make a judgment yeah. call. Yeah, you know, that's that's the fairest thing to do is learn both sides to a story and figure out which one you agree with. Re yeah, and you you would see, and I think that that's been kind of like my little my little side job, you know, bringing different perspectives into different things. You know, and. Yeah, our industry has suffered a lot, you know, with this pandemic and we lost so many people to COVID and and our industry is struggling, you know, and and it is very challenging times. And I don't think people realize the amount of people we lost and and what we're going through, you know, in terms of the whole supply chain. Yeah. Because I think that that's the thing, like you don't think about the whole supply chain and, and 
know, with people who plant the seed, your crops, who deliver it, and then who serve it. And it, it's such a domino effect that, that we are not even aware of um, that has suffered tremendously during the past two years. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very, I feel just very grateful and honored to have had this virus very early on to have been of service to the community for the past two years. You know, now I'm off to doing other things. Um, I am going um, to. Yeah. What are you off to? to? That's next. Tell us everything. (laughs) You know, uh, it is very exciting. You know, I'm I'm launching a La Cocina Latina, Chef Grace Ramirez concept inside universities across the country. Um, Because again, I think that, that education for me is key. Um, and, and, and this is something that kids, you know, we, we need to realize as Latinos that we're one of our biggest minorities and, and kids were demanding in schools, in universities across the country, uh, Latin flair. And, um, I developed along with Aramark, a La Cocina Latina, Chef Grace Ramirez concept that is now living in seven universities across, uh, the country and they're doing extremely well wow. and hopefully we'll take it to many other universities because I do think that education is the key to change things. So little by little, I'm trying to get into the educational space so kids can understand the relationship between the food that they're seeing grown in an edible garden right outside their schools and what they're eating. Uh, because when you see how food is grown, harvested and cooked, it changes mm-hmm. your perspective mm-hmm. around it and, and it changes a lot of things. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying, my goal is to, I always say, I, I want to bring back the home economic program in a more holistic way. Um, so kids can have more a, a, an understanding. Do you, do you know what who you're talking to? She was a home <laughs> that was teacher. My, I was a home economics teacher until two years ago during the pandemic. That's what I taught. And we did yeah. that. Um, and I would tell them, I would get mad at them. Like when we, when we made food and they made a face, if they were just like, ew, I don't know. I was like, mm-mm, mm-mm. and I would go on it. I would say, do you know what it took for someone to pay to get this, to get it here to you, to deliver it? And that's, so I, I totally would get on their case about it. And we wouldn't just do like sweets and baking. Like we would do meals and I'd actually have them do a full restaurant at the end of the semester in groups of four where they came up with a menu and they served their parents. So yeah, of course it needs to come back. I California yeah, and got you know, rid of it. I can't get totally, a job out here. Yeah. You know what I think it's essential, Megan? Like also it's for kids to bring the edible gardens back because when yeah. a kid sees that that strawberry took that amount of time to cook, to grow, yeah. um, not to cook, to grow, um, you know, kids have a different appreciation for it. They're yeah. like, oh, it took a whole semester to grow that or I needed to nurture it and to love it. So, you know, I, I, I did that in New Zealand where I worked with the Garden to Table program there and I saw kids eating more lettuce and more vegetables than anyone I've ever seen. Anywhere, yeah. They were appreciating the, the whole, you know, process of it. So yep. that's that's one of my my little side projects slash goals. So yes, I'm working with Armark. Um I work with well, the now UN you know a lot. home economics teacher. Perfect. So if you need anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a bunch of dinners for the UN under the Chef's Manifesto where we're wow. raising awareness about this Act Now campaign and the Chef's Manifesto that it's like a, a little toolkit for chefs to have about questioning themselves 
about where their food comes from, what's sustainable and, and whatnot. And, and um, yeah, they, you know, Eddie knows this. I never, I never stopped um, working. You know, I'm the worldwide ambassador, very proudly so of Sacapa Rum that I, it's a rum that I love not only because I love the spirit, but I love Lorena Vasquez and what she does, our master blender. And I feel so honored to, to be working with her uh, for so many years. And, and yeah, I think that, and then we're going to launch an incubator program for women here in New York, um, where we're going to teach women how to um, cook. And that's another little exciting project. But I think that, that um, for me, the past two years has been really about um, trying to help as many restaurants as they can from closing on their Chef Jose and World Center Kitchen. What they do is phenomenal. And, and I also help Israel. This is why Eddie, I, um, it is right, is right now very much um, in Ukraine and in Poland, and they deal a lot with um, mental healthness. And, and what they do is also remarkable, the work that they do. And I celebrate them a lot. They're also in, in, still in Colombia helping uh, Venezuelan refugees. So that's what keeps me going. You know, all this, all this activist and humanitarian work is what makes my day to day easier. You know, and, and speaking of what keeps her going, guys, if, if you want to, you know, connect with with Chef Grace and her story, I, I strongly encourage you uh, uh, to follow her on social media at Chef Grace Ramirez. Ramirez is with one R, even though I'm rolling my R's. It's with one, it's Chef Grace Ramirez. And, uh, you know. Follow along. She she as much fun as she has because you know it is social media. We got to have fun. There's always a message, and there's always something up. There's always a positive message, and nothing but encouragement and inclusion. And 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 I love, I love talking to people because it's relevant to me who who started out in one career and pivoted, and you know, and and something shifted in in your life. And here you were, you know, thinking you were going to take the world. Uh, by storm in television, you are in television in a different way, but taking the world by storm as a as a television producer slash director, you know what you were doing, and a catalyst, something struck a fire in you, and you shifted, and you were courageous, and here you are. So, so people at home, that moment when you, you doubt yourself, when you feel like I'm too old to shift, I'm too involved in medical school, but I want to do this. What, whatever that is for you, inspiration and love is what's going to take you there. Uh, because if you're not inspired or in love with what you're doing and you're inspired and in love with something you want to be doing, chances are you're doing the wrong thing. Uh, chef, I, I, we end And not giving show. up. You can't give no. up. No. Don't have a plan that I, B. That I, yeah. Don't have Don't a plan, have plan B. B because... That is something that I, I, I tell everyone I mentor, you know, the amount of no's I've received in my life, the amount of doors that have been shut in my face are endless. Every day I'm getting 75 doors shut well, in my yeah, face. Well, yeah, I mean. But someone, one door opens always if you keep working hard enough. Well, I always <laughs> use the analogy of baseball because I played baseball. Hello, I'm Cuban. I played baseball since I was a little kid. And in baseball, if you were successful three out of 10 times, you were in the Hall of Fame. If you bat 300, if you hit 30% of the time, you are in the Hall of Fame. In life, if you bat 100, you could be Bill Gates. You could be the most, you know, one of the most successful people in the world. And I mean, you know, if you give it up to the Supreme Court, chances are you won't have a plan B in a few months. But that's just another joke on the other side of uh, fuck the Supreme Court right now. Anyway, um, (laughs) 
I just had to put it out there because I'm thank I'm, you guys. You know. Uh so we end every show the same way from the bottom of our hearts, Grace. The only thing we don't get back in life is time. And sincerely, Megan and I want to thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us here on thank Kill the Bottle Podcast. Megan, th- please feel better and drink a lot of tea. Lemon, ginger, honey, tea, and maybe some water. Juice. Maybe some and some juice. <laughs> yeah, you'll have amazingly interesting breath. Uh, so, so chef, where can folks find you? I know they can find you on Chef Grace Ramirez on social. They can find you on www.chefgraceramirez.com. Where else besides in the like stairwell of the Soho House? Where can they find you? <laughs> in New York, uh, and then. Seven universities across the country. No, I think that honestly, <laughs> I am that crazy person that wakes up at 4 a.m. and tries to read every single Instagram message that people send me. So the best yeah. way to reach me is at Chef Grace Ramirez. I would promise you, I would try to get back at you at some point. Sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming, but I but I try to get through every single message. And and uh, that is a, a platform that I have a lot of fun with, like you said. Uh, it's my alter ego. I had to learn to love it and create this little persona. But it but there is a little piece of me there, 100%. And it's really transparent that, it, that, that, that it's there. And we're so proud of you. And folks, if you Thank love you what we're doing here at Kill the Bottle Podcast, it means the world to us. If you like, subscribe uh write you know write a nice little review i mean write any review if you don't like the show fuck it write that too but you know we, we live <laughs> no you know what my parents lived in a country and 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 so did grace where you couldn't express yourself so if your expression is you don't yeah, like the show that's fine it. take advantage that you you're you have a platform where you can express yourself whatever you like whatever you don't like let us know send us emails grace you have an open door policy here on the show we would love to have you back at some point we couldn't yes, even scratch I will. the surface. I love it. I'm so excited. Uh, I know. At being Yay. able to chat with you. But sincerely, I <laughs> am honored. You. And Tiene un amiguito aquí from 305 living in Thank LA. Thank you. I love you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Much, much love from the staircase in New York City. <laughs> and we will see everybody <laughs> next week. Ciao.